0: Welcome to this first Debunking Economics podcast. I'm Phil Dobby, and once or twice a week, I'll be joined by Professor Steve Keen, the head of the School of Economics, History and Politics at Kingston University in London, and of course, the author of the book, Debunking Economics, with a new book out very soon as well. Stay tuned for news on that. Now, in this series of podcasts, we'll explain how the economy really works. We'll explain it in layman's terms, so you don't need to be an economist. But I tell you, if you are an economist, and you want to question some of the underlying principles of your discipline well we're going to welcome your discussion you can uh, send your feedback and questions but our focus is on the ordinary folk who want to know more who want to understand what's going on in the real world now some programs will focus on economic theory others will look more specifically at what's happening in the news and the world around us today so we hope you'll subscribe and stay with us for the debunking economics podcast And in this first podcast, we're going to look at inflation, because this week, the UK got very excited because the inflation rate is 1%. Inflation is heading up. It's on a two-year high, but 1%... Whoopie-doo. Remember the late 70s and early 80s when inflation was in, in double figures? It peaked at 18%. Uh, but it's the one thing that reserve banks look at closely. They see it as important. In fact, they see it as their fundamental target, no less. But is inflation a good thing? I mean, Steve, I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, for the man in the street, I mean, uh, inflation just means prices are going up. That's not a good thing, is it?
1: That's what everybody looks at, and they think, okay, inflation's low, therefore, you know, I'm going to go and buy my, uh, my coffee, and it won't cost much more, than it won't, won't be more expensive than the previous week, and my, my dollar goes further. That's the sort of immediate thinking we do. What we don't think about is, well, I've got this other thing called debt, uh, which is uh, the money I owe to the bank is denominated in dollars, and if the inflation rate is really low then that inflation, therefore, is not reducing the real value of my debt. Right. And one nice way to get out of debt is for inflation to go through the roof and, and devalue the amount of money you owe. Now, we don't have that effect anymore. So if, That's s- the, the secondary effect that people actually have or don't think about.
0: Right, so if I have $100,000 and there's no inflation, then I still owe $100,000 as it's worth today. But if we have inflation, then that $100,000 yeah. might be worth uh, $80,000 uh, in the future in, well, yeah, in today's if you, money.
1: If you had a 10% rate of inflation. Inflation, then, and then that, then that hundred thousand dollars debt last year is worth ninety thousand dollars in this year's terms. So inflation reduces that debt burden, and that's something we don't think about um, most of the time. But it's a major factor that the role inflation actually plays in the background. But that isn't what the central banks are thinking about either. They've got this fantasy world uh, where they put, where they have a, a model of the world that actually leaves out debt, leaves out many other things as well. But in that fantasy world, the rate of inflation should be two percent. And of course, for the last, as you speak, you mentioned, from the 1980s on with inflation rates from double digits, they were spending all their time trying to push it down to 2%. And they didn't expect it was gonna go below and turn negative. And now they're trying to push in the opposite direction well, they have no idea of how to do it.
0: Yeah, because I mentioned uh, that central banks, like the Bank of England or the the Federal Reserve in the United States, they make inflation one of their prime targets. So if inflation gets too high, uh, then they push up interest rates to try and subdue it. Uh, but is it is it right that they make this their uh, not in their prime target, just about their only target, the the thing that they focus on?
1: No, this is this is the point that you know, I mean, sitting on the sidelines, frustrated, watching all this stuff for the last twenty or thirty years. And what's actually happened is that if you go back to the 19- 1950s and 60s then central banks gave themselves two targets or uh, well, they were given two targets pardon me they, the, they were much more politically directed back then yeah. uh two targets and the first one was the unemployment rate and i'll give a quote from you know the country you and i recently vacated australia there's a wonderful what's called white paper which is a government document that's actually supposed to be put into policy as a white paper on employment and this is from a, a fantastic uh the classic uh, public servant, the sort of the uh, world-leading type public servant personalities we used to have back in the fifties and sixties, called Nugget Coombs, who wrote most of the um, the document, and he said the objective of government policy is to maintain such pressure on the on the economy as to ensure a shortage of. Of men, rather than a shortage of jobs. So that's, that's a bit of sexist language from the 1950s. Right. Ignoring women's role, of course. But that was the the idea was that the, we had the horror of the the Great Depression, followed by the even greater horror of the Second World War. Uh, in the first place, millions of people uh, people lost their jobs, and in the second part, millions of people lost their lives. And. In that situation, the, the, also, we had the rise of communism, the, uh, at this stage, remember the, the, uh, we wasn't just a little bloke, we got a little bloke with the mustache, but there was a bigger guy with a bigger mustache in Russia who had quite a bit of an impact on on global politics, and the fear was that the Soviets were going to lead a revolution globally, and a part of that revolution was they were promising that you'd never be unemployed. So that set a political background, which economics tends to ignore, but it was well and truly there. And policy was all about trying to achieve as low a level of unemployment as possible, and inflation was one of those prices you had to pay if, if unemployment got too low. We then had 30-something years where unemployment rate was low, but the inflation rate started to trend higher and higher and higher until Vokler became central bank governor in America. And when inflation was running at that stage at 17%, uh, he then put the brakes on the economy with a massive increase in interest rates. And then from that point, of, point on, inflation has been falling. And economists for a long time were taking the credit for this, so there was a... A change in the in the orientation having forgotten the the second world war most of the economists who developed modern theories weren't born during the war and by the looks of it didn't have parents who went through the war either and their attitude was that the 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 economy reaches full employment equilibrium Uh, this this event of the great depression was actually an extended holiday i am not joking i can find you a quote to verify that that's what they believed Um, but the the whole goal of government policy went from focusing on unemployment and seeing inflation as a a necessary, buy, you know, sometimes an unavoidable byproduct of getting low unemployment. Instead, the idea was get a low rate of inflation, and the economy will sort itself out to reach yep. that low level of unemployment. That became right. the philosophy.
0: Yeah, which is the, which anyone who studied sort of like uh, uh, A-level type of economics, uh, you know, you do the Phillips curve. You look at the relationship mm. between uh, inflation and employment, and you know, you're taught it is one of the fundamentals of economics that if if more people are working, then they push for higher wages and we get inflation uh, and conversely if we've got high unemployment then there's less inflation because people can't argue that they should get a wage increase um, and, and, and as you point out you know in history that doesn't work and uh, it doesn't work now does it i mean we take the united states well, they're, they're close to full employment but inflation is just over one percent so it looks like the curve's broken isn't it
1: well in fact this is this is the, the argument that's actually used to demolish the idea that you can focus on both employment and inflation at once because what was called the breakdown of the Phillips curve, uh, the, the fact that this empirical, what looked like a really tight empirical relationship actually derived from English data uh, by, by a New Zealand economist working in, working in England at the time, uh, uh, A.W. Phillips, uh, who was an engineer. He looked at the data going back to the 1860s right to the 1950s and found this beautiful little curve relating unemployment and inflation for most of the time and he explained deviations from the curve, by a range of uh, arguments including things like wars cutting off access to uh, cheap food from Europe and so on and, and then deflation, labour agreements like after the 1920s uh, to, to which were wage inflation trade-offs actually backfiring on the working class because of deflation uh, caused by going back to the gold standard. So that curve looked like, and, and actually Phillips made the mistake of saying that there was a menu choice politicians could choose. And if, if you wanted to have high and uh, higher uh, employment, then you might go for, say, a 3% rate of, of unemployment, which would give you a 5% rate of inflation. If you wanted to have zero inflation, then you might choose a 5% rate of unemployment. That'll give you zero inflation. That was a menu. You could just tick, you know, like going to your local Chinese takeaway and ticking the boxes, uh, what meat and what sauce. And when that started to break down in the 1960s, and, late 1960s, early 1970s, that's when Milton Friedman went on the warpath and he argued that in fact the Phillips curve uh, was vertical. Now, there was what he called a natural rate of unemployment. And you could deviate that from the short term. You'd always return to it in the long term. And that belief that there was a long-term natural rate of unemployment got rid of the whole argument about the Phillips curve with an economic theory. And that's the sort of stuff that you know, Janet Yellen's policies today are a direct descendant thereof.
0: Janet Yellen, of course, being the governor of the Federal Reserve, one of those central banks for the United States. Uh, now, uh, most banks do, central banks do seem to have this uh, this target, normally around 2% yeah. for, in- for inflation. I think it's called the Taylor Rule, isn't it? Are they right to follow that?
1: No, no. It's a, all this stuff is based on the mythical view of the world, and this is what I've been fighting for 40 years, living in a fantasy world and applying it to the real world. And that worked fine when the main role of economic theory was to do two things. A, it was to say that capitalism is better than socialism when you had to worry about little uh, Joe Stalin and his descendants, and B, when it was used to bash the unions and fight to keep wages down. That served uh, the uh, political classes in one side and the, man- and the employer classes on the other very nicely. But if you try to run the world using a fantasy model, guess what happens? (laughs) It falls apart. And you find yourself on the other side of a crisis, which is where they are right now, trying to manage this economy to actually make it work better. So you're trying to boost everything you're trying to reduce beforehand. In the past, they, they were trying to push inflation down. Now they're trying to push it up. In the past, growth was okay, now it's too low. They've got all sorts of quandary. They simply can't understand it. This is why you're seeing the level of confusion and, and self-reflection uh, coming out of people like Janet, Janet Yellen. But they're still not breaking outside the, 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 the fantasy model they put together in the first place.
0: Right. But, I mean, they are, obviously, they, we, we do want people to be employed, so employment is, in, yep. is important. Um, I'm not uh. quite sure where we stand on inflation, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, because you've said a couple of things. One is that, you know, uh, if inflation is high, then we can pay off our debts faster. Um, but, I mean, presumably uh. there, there is still this link, isn't there, between inflation and, and employment and um, or, or, or not? I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out whether, employ- whether we want more inflation or less. Are we happy where it is now and we have to uh, solve the growth problem some other way, or do we need inflation to try and get growth back on track?
1: Well, like the, the, the difficult... Um thing is that we have not two things to worry about, we have at least three and so the three that I concern myself are the level of unemployment, the rate of inflation, and the level of private debt. Okay. Now, when you when you got those three inside there, I can answer the question. But it's it's like answering the rather than answering question on a table and saying that's the point I want to get to. I'm answering the question in a box and saying this is the point I want to get to inside a box. It's rather more complicated. Right. And debt is but so the, out the, of, out the of those debt banks, debt is yeah. the biggest issue that yeah. we're trying
0: to trying to fix in reality.
1: Yeah, and and that and that's the one that they haven't even, even considered. But that's and we might talk about that in more detail on another podcast because it is a, a whole other. The topic, but back to this inflation one. What what central banks thought they had to do was simply get the inflation rate down to about two percent, and then the economy worked very well. But everything else would settle down. And they're, they're, I call it a two-three-four rule. They believe that they, if they could, get the interest rate, inflation rate down to two percent, and have the growth rate of the economy at three percent, with the Nominal rate of interest at 4%, everything is perfect. It's a 2-3-4 rule. And that's that's what you can summarise the Taylor rule as. And so what they... because uh, when you have 3% rate of growth of the economy, they thought would you therefore be, say, full employment. And in America, they define that at, at a 5% rate. So it's 2, 3, 4, 5 rule in that sense. That's what they're trying to get to. What, they, what they're flummoxed by is that they, have, they've got the, they can't get growth back up. So it's, it's, it never gets to 3% again. They're running about one and a half, two, 2 And they, they can't work out what that's going on. Inflation is actually 0 going towards negative that's that's word for them to understand the nominal rate of interest the way that one that they set of course is is also zero and unemployment they think that looks good but if you take a close look at the data and i do recommend people do this uh, you see that there's also what's called the participation rate and the combination of the two is used to work out the unemployment rate that Americans work with, and that's where they're running at four and a half, five percent, which looks really fantastic. But in fact, the number of people who are actually actively looking for a job, according to the way they measure it, has fallen dramatically. Mm. And that hasn't recovered. So if you look at the what, what is called underemployment, that's huge. Right. Bigger than it's ever been at this level. So they're looking, not only are they looking at, not only is the world they're in, all the numbers are wrong, uh, the number that they think is okay, which is the unemployment rate. Is actually disguising how bad unemployment is in the States right now, which I think is a major reason why Trump has the appeal that he's got. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, that's good. That's, so th- a, that's a good segue to next time. And, a, and also a future podcast. Because I mean, I think, you know, what you're talking about there is our, our move towards a more casual workforce, a more, uh, which is the damage that's doing to the economy. But it, it you know, it's, it, from what you're saying, uh, I mean, let me ask one final question. We will, we will talk about Donald Trump next time as well. Because I want to ask you whether he's got crazy yeah. ideas or is he a sound economist? Uh, that might take a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds. I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe a couple of seconds. But look, um, just on 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 um, uh, inflation. Final question for you then. Yeah. If infl I mean, if prices double, for example, but my salary doubles as well. Then um, I'm just as well off as I was before, except, of course, any debt that I carry has in effect halved. So, it's surely on that basis, high inflation is a good thing.
1: That's the little secret that, that realistic people can work out, but economists ignore because they have this nonsense they do, they call money illusion, that says that anybody worries about money uh, doesn't understand capitalism. In fact, you've got to worry about it, and that's exactly what inflation does. It does reduce the debt burden, and that's why we got out of the 70s and 80s crises so easily, because with high inflation at the time, it reduced the debt burden and let the economy go back into another boom. Now we've got we have a much higher level of private debt, zero to negative inflation, which is actually compounding that debt, and therefore we're stuck in a, in a becalmed situation. It's easy for us to discuss it. That's what Janet Yellen and friends can't actually understand because they mentally block out the role of credit in the economy.
0: So out of those three things, debt, employment and inflation... Uh, would I be right in saying the
1: one that we have the least to worry about right now is inflation, and we should just let it run its course? Effectively, but its course is downwards. We have to turn it around. The thing we've got to reduce, the one that it most means most, is the level of credit, the level of private, private debt. That's what we've got to get down. Otherwise, we'll be stuck here, be calm forever. And that's where Japan has been for 25 years.
0: Yeah. All right, great. Look, there's uh, so much to talk about. We're going to be, uh, this, this series is going to run and run, uh, and I look forward to it. It's been great talking, and uh, look forward to the next time. Steve, thank you for the uh, inaugural... Well- uh, edition of the um, Debunking Economics podcast.
1: Thank you, mate. Good to talk to you.
0: And as we said, uh, Donald Trump will feature on uh, the program next time. We're not going to talk to Donald Trump, but we're going to talk about him. Uh, does he have some crazy ideas or does he have some quite good ideas? Does he have some sound economic rationale uh, behind some of the things that he's pushing forward? We'll talk about that next time on the Debunking Economics podcast. Thanks for joining us. See you in a few days.